Hello, and welcome to a VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we will be discussing lymphoma updates, including targeted therapies for DLBCL, as well as results of the HD17 study in Hodgkin's lymphoma and Zuma5 studies. First up, Wendy Osborne of Freeman Hospital, Newcastle-upon-Tyne Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust, Newcastle, UK, highlights targeted therapies as the future of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma treatment. I think targeted therapy is going to be the future for DLBCL treatment. I think um, as well as CAR-T therapy looking encouraging, I think by specific antibody therapy looks really encouraging as well. Uh, and some of the data that have already been presented with various biospecifics uh, look that although it does have toxicity, again, they can be well managed when recognised early. So uh, I think that we've, we're going to have to look at trying to select out which patients will benefit from which therapies as we have more and more available. Secondly, Peter Borchmann from the University Hospital Cologne, Cologne, Germany, discusses HD17, a phase three trial of PET-guided emission of radiotherapy in early stage unfavorable Hodgkin lymphoma patients. Actually, this is a phase three study. It's a huge study with 1,100 patients. And the question was in intermediate stage, so which is early stage unfavorable classical Hodgkin lymphoma, if we can omit radiotherapy in a PET-guided manner, if we use an effective systemic treatment regimen beforehand. As you might know in the German Hodgkin study group, we start with two cycles of escalated vehicle, followed by two cycles of AVVD, and then a standard of care, followed by consolidation radiotherapy in a combined modality treatment approach. This used to be the standard of care. Other standards of care actually uh, might also be just four cycles of ABVD followed by radiotherapy, or again, in a PET-guided um, fashion, you could um, use PET after two seconds of ABVD, and then for the poor responders, escalate to escalated vehicle. This was the RTC study. So we had a different question. Our question was if you can omit radiotherapy in well-responding patients. And therefore, we randomized patients with the standard treatment, 2 plus 2, followed by consolidation radiotherapy, combined modality on the one hand, and on the other hand, 2 plus 2, followed by PET. And in case of PET negativity, we just went on for watch and wait, so just regular follow. In case of PET positivity, patients received consolidation radiotherapy to PET positive disease. And this was a non-inferiority study, as you can see. So we omit radiotherapy from the treatment concept. And what we want to show is non-inferiority. And looking at the endpoint, which was five years PFS, there was clearly no difference whatsoever. So overlapping curves up to five years at an extremely high level, between 96 and 98%. This is PFS. The overall survival also over the because was even better at 98%. And when we looked at the PET negative patients and the standard combined modality, modality treatment arm, and then the experimental group, so this is all patients then without radiotherapy, we confirmed the findings for the entire study that there's no inferiority of the omission of radiotherapy in PET negative patients. 
So this is a very solid finding at a very high level. And we can safely conclude that we do not need radiotherapy for PET-negative patients after 2 plus 2 induction chemotherapy. Interestingly, the overall survival was extremely good and was as good as in a healthy, matched, normal population from Germany. We had only one patient out of 1,100 dying from Hodgkin lymphoma and only one patient dying from treatment-related toxicity. So we can also conclude it's not only extremely active. We do not need radiotherapy for well-responding patients. You can also conclude that it's extremely safe. And you might consider that this is a real-world setting. So we had more than 250 centers participating to this study. And most of these centers were very small private practitioners or primary care hospitals. And they had like one patient per year in this trial. But this really reflected a real world setting. And in this setting, we have these results. Based on these results, we at the German Hodgkin Study Group recommend this as standard of care. And we would like to thank all physicians and study nurses, but also the patients and their families contributing to this important trial. Finally, Karen Jacobson of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Boston, Massachusetts, discusses the results from Zuma 5, a pivotal phase two study investigating the use of axicabtigine xylolucil in relapse refractory follicular lymphoma and marginal cell lymphoma. So this is a study, a phase two study of AxiCell in indolent B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphomas, specifically in follicular lymphoma and in marginal zone lymphoma. Um, and these are, this was, patients were eligible for this study if they um, had had two or more prior lines of therapy, um, had to at least include uh, chemoimmunotherapy with a CD20 antibody and with an alkylating agent. And we know that patients in the third line and beyond start to have shorter remission durations from the, their subsequent therapies in these diseases. So it's a particularly, um, you know, unmet a group of patients with an unmet medical need. Um, and so the, res the, the results that, um, that are available so far include 125 patients with follicular lymphoma and 16 patients with marginal zone lymphoma out of a plan 35 patients with marginal zone lymphoma. And um, the, of the 125 patients with follicular lymphoma, the first 80 with nine months of follow-up um, were included in the efficacy analysis, but all of the patients were included in the safety analysis. Um, and uh, so the top line results from the study are that um, in, all, in all comers, the response rate was over 90% and the CR rate was about 80%. In follicular lymphoma, the response rate was 95% and the CR rate was 80, uh, 81%. Um, and uh, when they followed these patients out, the median follow-up for that group of patients with follicular lymphoma was 15.3 months, and 80% of patients who had had a CR maintained their response at that time point. Um, so 
hard to know if this is really a durable response because the follicular lymphoma is an indolent disease and we know that it can relapse after many, many years. Um, but so far, it looks uh, better than the available options in this line of therapy. And I think the other important thing um, was the safety profile. So for follicular lymphoma in particular, 23% uh, of patients had no cytokine release syndrome whatsoever. Um, and those who did have cytokine release syndrome, on average, the the time to onset was four days. So it was two days later than what we see of AxiCell in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. So both of those things do um, have implications for whether this could potentially lend itself to outpatient dosing as opposed to um, you know, keeping people in the hospital for the observation period. Um, of the, in terms of high-grade cytokine release syndrome, uh, that was lower than axicel and large cell lymphoma at 7%. And in terms of high-grade neurotoxicity, that was also lower um, at 15%. Um, so of more favorable toxicity profile than we're used to seeing um, and very, very, very good results in terms of uh, CR rate and uh, the percentage of patients who remain in remission out at, at median follow-up of 15.3 months. This is a pivotal study, um, and uh, the intention is to submit this data to the FDA to see if this can be uh, used to gain approval of AxiCell in um, relapse refractory follicular lymphoma. Um, and uh, But again, the patients in the study were all third line and beyond. And so the question is, um, with longer follow-up, if these do look like they're durable remissions um, and possibly even... Uh, a curative therapy, um, although we, like I said, we need longer follow-up to determine that, um, the question will become, you know, is this something we should be offering to patients with follicular lymphoma earlier in their therapy? Um, and th the answer to that is really going to come from the toxicity profile. So um, patients with follicular lymphoma generally live for 20 to 30 years. And of course, we don't want to um, treat them with anything that could shorten that lifespan. So we have to be sure that we have an acceptable safety uh, profile in order to move this up. But uh, for many patients living with follicular lymphoma, having a one-time infusion um, as their single therapy uh, would be much more preferable to you know, a lifetime of uncertainty of going back and forth to the doctor, finding out if their disease is active um, and whether they're gonna need to be on months of chemotherapy um, versus uh, years of some of the targeted agents. Um, so this, this has a great potential to change our treatment algorithm for this disease, but we need longer follow-up and to feel confident about the toxicity profile. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with us. Visit VJHemonk.com for the latest updates from the experts themselves, as well as exclusive lymphoma coverage. Be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.